Welcome to Full Disclosure. Every Wednesday morning, we check in with the Better Government Association to make sure that uh, government is working for you and that it's being transparent in what it's doing. David Grising, president and CEO of the BGA, is back with us on a very important day with Governor J.B. Pritzker set to deliver his combined state of the state and budget address at noon today in a virtual format instead of the normal uh, presentation before a joint session of the General Assembly. Uh, David, it's worth noting as we start that uh, on this day where the governor is going to lay out his spending plan and ask the legislature to uh, adopt it in a show of bipartisanship, the Illinois Republican Party has chosen this morning to launch its Fire Pritzker campaign. So we're uh, we're off to a great start for bipartisanship uh, here plainly today. But let's start with the uh, with the budget speech. We've gotten a, a few uh, crumbs here and there of what to expect. What are you expecting today when the governor takes to the virtual podium? Well, uh, the governor is facing huge fiscal problems uh, in, uh, you know, more than $4 billion deficit uh, uh, hungover from last fiscal year. And he's already has told us he's given us a very broad outline uh, call, calling for, uh, first of all, no tax increase. Uh, which is a bit of a surprise, given that uh, during his losing campaign to push through the graduate income tax, which he called the fair tax, he had said that a tax increase would be the result if it didn't pass. And indeed, it did not pass. Uh, on top of that, he has talked about $900 million in unspecified corporate tax loopholes. Uh, he hasn't yet said what those are. And so uh, everybody, especially on the Republican side of the aisle, are eagerly awaiting those details. There is also a question about what sort of impact this is going to have on spending on education. He has indicated that the evidence-based funding formula obligation to increase spending by about $350 million statewide uh, probably will not be met. Uh, so those are some of the um, moves that we're seeing the governor make. And um, it's going to be a tough uh, budget, even though I'm sure he'll find a way to put uh, the usual roster of accomplishments and braggadocio into the speech as well. Uh, the word that was used in the uh, slight budget preview the governor's office uh, gave us last week was painful. But again, uh, how that is defined is the open question, and we'll hopefully have some better idea of that today. David, the big question, of course, is the governor's office says this will be a balanced budget, but balanced by whose definition? Republicans say that last year's budget was quote-unquote balanced because the governor and Democrats used what they describe as imaginary money, wagering that the uh, graduated income tax amendment would pass, wagering that the federal government would provide um, COVID-19 relief. N neither of those things happened. Uh, there's still a chance for federal relief at some point this year, but the governor's office says it's not banking on that and putting this budget together. Uh, but but realistically, uh, how do we find, uh, define balanced uh, when it's still kind of guesswork as far as what revenues are likely to be or uh, what, uh, what other uh, help might or might not be available? Well, certain trends seem to be in the governor's favor right now. Uh, he was looking at a deficit for the coming fiscal year of about $5.5 billion earlier. And because the Illinois economy, along with the national economy, have done better than expected, the deficit now looks to be more like $3 billion. Uh, on top of that, 
while he is not budgeting for help from the federal government, it does seem likely that in the almost $2 trillion uh, package that, that President Biden is pushing for in Congress, with a lot of pressure from the president and uh, Democrats controlling both of the houses right now, uh, there may be help coming from the federal government that, the, that uh, Governor Pritzker just is not uh, counting on, is not building into his budget. So there may be things that happen there. And that, uh, you know, while he is not raising taxes in his budget, um, taxes now stand at a flat tax rate of 4.95 percent. Uh, he had indicated during the during the fight for the tax amendment that he could well raise taxes to 5.95 percent. So this could be a political move to say, I'm not going to raise taxes, but if the only way to get the, the budget into balance is to raise taxes and the legislature decides to pass a tax increase, uh, then there's a question as to whether the governor would sign that. You know, and uh, obviously uh, we've seen the governor use this tactic before, basically warning, here are the bad things that will happen uh, if we don't, uh, you know, do something about revenues here in the state. So he could, in fact, lay out painful cuts, not necessarily wanting to implement them, but hoping that maybe it will spur uh, some other action by lawmakers. We've got a note, too, on in terms of that uh, potential federal uh, funding, COVID relief. Comptroller Susana Mendoza appeared live here on WM. May last night and said nobody should uh, mistake that for a, a big uh, gaudy Christmas present under the tree if it arrives because that would all have to go to repay debt we've already incurred loans we took out last year to try to keep things running when the bottom dropped out of state revenues so uh, again it's not going to be a, a windfall uh, for any sort of spending programs if and when that money does in fact materialize uh, david every budget address is an opportunity for uh, a chief executive in the state to try to uh, right the ship of state to try to uh, begin to undo years of very bad fiscal practices in Illinois. And I have no doubt the BGA has a fairly extensive list of pieces of advice uh, for this and prior and future governors on things they ought to be doing to try to finally bring some long-term fiscal stability to Illinois. So if you were writing the governor's budget speech, what would be in it? Well, um, a couple of things that that we have not heard from the governor, heard about from the governor, is that in his uh, budget speech last year, he talked about adding $100 million over 16 months to the state's rainy day fund. The rainy day fund uh, has in it enough money to run the state for about, I think, 15 minutes last time we checked. Uh, and, and so... Um, We've seen during the course of COVID the way that the economy can just screech to a halt, and it helps to have some money in the kitty in order to pay bills, just pay vendors to the state, et cetera. Uh, and so uh, it would be nice to hear from the governor as to what he plans to do about that. I don't think we're going to hear anything about uh, the, the Chicago casino, which also had been expected by now to be de delivering at least uh, licensing fees. More information about the equity plan for uh, cannabis 
would be very helpful. Cannabis sales have exceeded expectations. And so there are a lot of people making money off of cannabis. Unfortunately, too many of them uh, not in the in minority and underrepresented groups. And the way to increase revenue is also to increase the number of cannabis dispensaries out there. So those would be three, you know, a few things that we're looking for. On top of that, um, the state is making uh, some fairly strong progress on paying down the bill backlog. It wasn't $8.5 billion last year around this time. Uh, Susanna Mendoza has gotten it down to about almost, uh, well, $4.8 billion uh, by last count. That's significant uh, uh, gain there. And we would um, it would be good to see a plan to continue to pay down that amount. So those are the those are some of the things that we're looking for in terms of seeing if there's more than just talk to this uh, fiscal austerity uh, program that the governor is talking about. The final thing I would mention is that education spending issue. There was a legal obligation to do this evidence-based funding formula. That's what the state promised to school districts across the state. And you can't just sort of walk away from the state's school children with little explanation and no plan for uh, making good on that promise. And we would like to hear from the governor what his plans are, if he is just basically throwing away that uh, obligation or if he has plans eventually to make up uh, that very important obligation to some of the state's most vulnerable people. You surprised me in that you didn't utter the word pensions even once in that <laughs> long list. Uh, is that just a lost cause for this year? Well, I, I guess from this governor who really has avoided any pension talk altogether, uh, I, I guess I we're not expecting much in the way of uh, of attacking that. Um, he, you know, he has talked about paying down the pensions at, I think, if I'm remembering from memory, about $100 million last year he talked about it during his budget address. But uh, that is such a drop in the bucket compared to the $141 billion under funding uh, that those sorts of marginal changes are really for political effect. They're not material to fixing the state's pension problems. And this governor so far has shown no propensity to do so, nor has anyone else, frankly, on the Republican side either presented a, uh, a realistic plan for addressing pensions. Uh, so we're, I, I skipped it in, the, in that we're not looking for or expecting a, a big pension fix. Uh, it certainly is something the governor ought to be prioritizing but so far has not shown the stomach to do so. We do know also that local governments like our own city of Springfield are hoping the governor will uh, get behind an effort to sort of stretch out the pension ramp uh, for some of the funds, police and firefighter pensions, for example, uh, to uh, push back that date, that deadline for uh, funding uh, to reach a, a relative full funding from 2040 back to 2050 to buy them a little bit more time to try to deal with their own pension issues as well. So we'll see if any of that does come up in the speech today. Live coverage at noon here on WMAY. Welcome back to Full Disclosure every Wednesday morning with David Grising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. And while we await the governor's combined state of the state and budget speech coming up live at noon today here on WMAY, this is the time of year when ordinarily 
We would expect lawmakers' thoughts to be turning to visions of redrawn legislative districts dancing in their heads. But that isn't going to be happening on the usual schedule because the census data has been delayed dramatically, mostly due to the pandemic. And we may not see the sort of granular level detail needed to draw these maps until potentially the fall, even though Illinois has a constitutionally mandated June 30th deadline to put a map together or it uh, triggers a a whole bunch of uh, new challenges to get a map drawn. So, David, uh, how does this all play out, and does it actually force everybody to play ball cooperatively with each other to get the maps done in compliance with the law and the state constitution? Right. See, there there are a couple of uh, real-world options. One is to follow the script as written in the Illinois Constitution, uh, which really leads to chaos probably toward the end, around the end of September, uh, when the census the census is now saying uh, September 30th is when we can rely on getting the data, and that would really leave under under some of the fallback plan in the Constitution uh, only about five days, October 5th, to file a redistricting plan that must be approved by five members of a special eight-person panel, plus at that point a chair who would be either a Democrat or Republican, uh, basically on a based on a coin flip. Uh, the alternative to that, which is probably a little more realistic, is that the map drawing begins using old data uh, and that they get as close as they can to maps that they agree to, subject to that data coming in and filling in the de- the block, you know, the details. And that the thing is, this is one of those instances where the devil and and the importance of map making making is in the details. Whether a certain block is in somebody's district or not is an important matter in this map making, and uh, that's going to make the effort to sort of do as best as they can with the data at hand a very difficult thing to accomplish. The ramifications are huge for this because candidates need to start circulating petitions to run for state legislative or congressional seats, and they got to know if they're going to actually be in the district they're uh, they're wanting to run in. Uh, it also has implications as far as when Illinois will hold its primary, and there's talk maybe we'll have to move the 2022 primary to later in the year to accommodate all of this, to allow time for filing, etc. So uh, broad and sweeping ramifications for all of it, and uh, nobody still knows yet exactly how it's going to play out. We'll watch it. Dave, before we let you go, only about two minutes left, but one of the things we always encourage people to do is to check out the Better Government Association website. One of the great features there is the PolitiFact Illinois Fact Check Service. You've got a new fact check recently posted related to COVID-19. Right. Uh, the Republican Party put out a uh, Facebook post claiming that Governor Pritzker puts prisoners, politicians, and college students ahead of those with health risks to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, we looked into this, and uh, there's some truth to uh, parts of it. Uh, Prisoners now are included, uh, along with 13 other states, prisoners are part of the uh, Phase 1B uh, vaccination plan in Illinois. Uh, Lawmakers, uh, Pritzker famously uh, included lawmakers in in this month, and that's along with three other states, Colorado, Hawaii, and Maryland, this business about college students gen, um, uh, is just, uh, we don't know where it came from because college students in general are not eligible. They get no special treatment under uh, Governor Pritzker's vaccination plan. And so we uh, we decided that uh, 
the, the, this claim by the Republican Party is only half true. Uh, you know, this is the poli plain politics with one of the most important issues of our day. And the facts themselves are bad enough. And to uh, gin up kind of half truths like this is really uh, deplorable and something that uh, people on both sides of the political aisle ought to be more responsible about in this day and age. Go read it and much more at bettergov.org. David Grising, we're out of time for this week. We'll, be, of course, be reacting next week to the governor's budget, so we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Have a great week. Thank you. You too, Jim.